Uh, so I thought the best thing I could do today is to bring you a, a, a twofer. You have that phrase over here, two for one. This is two sermons condensed into one. I preached a couple of sermons at the beginning of this year to our own church on prayer to, to try to stir us up uh, on and un- help us to understand the, the key to prayer here. I've um, got a, a sermon from John 15, verse 7 for you, in which I found what I think is a surprising key to prayer. The chapter's well known. It's the abide in me passage. And it's right that we, we know that passage well. It's frequently preached. It's, this is one of those verses, however, that actually a lot of people skip past. It's a little perplexing in its, its apparent generosity, and um, it deserves its own sermon. So uh, I'm going to give this to you today. One of the keys to prayer is John 15, 7. Let me read it, then I'll pray, and we'll get into the sermon. If you abide in me, says Jesus, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that you hear us. Thank you that you have heard us, and we do come again to pray for this congregation that you would meet with us now by the power of your Holy Spirit, in and through your word, which you have chosen to accomplish the work for which you you gave it, Lord, do your work in us, please, according to your will, according to your good pleasure. Work in us to will and to act according to your good purposes. Change our hearts, renew our minds, bless us now, we pray. Even save souls, we ask, in this room today. We ask it for Jesus' sake that your name would be glorified, Lord. Amen. So how would it be this year if you really got the power to pray? Would you you love to have the ability? How would it change things for you if you could pray, let's say, like the most godly person you know? That would be quite something. What about if this whole room, what about if this church was full of people who really prayed? really pray, what would change? It would be a little light pouring fire, pouring gas, as you say, petrol, on the fire that exists in the church. I think the Lord has been doing wonderful things, hasn't he, in this church? And, and yet to really pray would pour fire, would pour petrol on that fire, wouldn't it? Um. Do you need to change? Is there more growth that's needed? Of course there is. Is what you know of God enough? Of course it's not. Could we have more of the Lord's blessing in our lives if we could truly pray as we ought? Well, the answer is of course yes. What what could change in, in your circumstances, in this city? How could things not change? be changed. I mean, think of it. In the early church, they prayed. The place where they prayed was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. With boldness, the world was turned upside down. In church history, you've read the stories, maybe a a, a woman goes 
uh, away for a few days on a holiday, and she has a day to herself, and she says, instead of just sightseeing, I'm going to lock myself in her room and give myself to pray for my prodigal son, that rebellious son, that son who, who knows it all and he's walked away, and yet today, on that very day, hundreds of miles away, that rebellious son is prompted by God to pick up a tract and to read, and Hudson Taylor is converted, and China is evangelized, and the world is changed. Millions and millions of Christians in China are born again today because a woman got down on her knees and gave herself to pray. How would it be if you could really pray like that? Now, um, is God not the same God? who changed the world in the, in the days of the early church. Is God not the same God who heard that woman's prayers? Can God not do the same things today? Would, would there not be a lot more conversions, real, clear conversions in our churches if we really prayed? Would there not be a lot more mended marriages? Would there not be a, a, a lot more victory over stubborn sins in the lives of people that hide away their their failures would would that not be would that not be more behind us if we could really pray well how are we going to get that power to pray i'm saying this verse has a surprising key to prayer it's not the only key to prayer but this is a key to prayer is very surprising. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's remarkable, isn't it? You want to know what it means in Greek? It means whatever you wish. <laughs> it's, there's, it really means that. Whatever you desire, it will be done for you. That's like Jesus saying, I'm going to give you a blank check. You, you fill out what you're looking for here. Now, there are all sorts of qualifications that you can give, and I get that. I, I bring some qualifications to that immediately, but that's not what Jesus said, is it? What, the question here is, it, I, I think for us, if we actually do begin to discover what God will actually do in response to our prayers... Instead of focusing on the qualifications, we'd be more interested in talking about the wonder that Jesus said something so remarkable that we can actually pray and ask whatever we wish. So that's what we'll be doing today, is getting into this key to prayer. Would you like some of that? So we do it? There's, there's three parts to the surprising key to prayer in this verse, if you're taking notes. The first part... Um, is very simple, is the fact that you have to abide in Jesus. You have to abide in Jesus. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you and so on. Now, to state the obvious, if you don't abide in Jesus, well, you can ask whatever you want, but there's no guarantee, right? In this verse, this is a condition. If introduces a condition, there are three obvious conditions in this verse, and I'm saying there are three parts then to the key to prayer. Let's get into the first one. Um, 
And that's the question of abiding in Jesus. You have to abide in Jesus. Now, the obvious question then is, is what? Well, what does it mean? What does it mean truly to abide in Jesus? Have you ever stumbled over that? Are there any other people in the room that have read John 15 many times and thought, I thought I understood what it meant to abide in Jesus, but then when I got to verse 6, it didn't make sense to me anymore. <laughs> um, because I thought abiding in Jesus was sticking close to Jesus. And then verse 6 says, if you don't stick close to Jesus, you burn in hell. Um, okay, well, I I, I'm not making sense of this. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Actually, if you back up and understand the context, it's not difficult. Back in thirteen, chapter 13, Judas just quit, didn't he? Judas walked out. Judas left. He went out to betray Jesus, but simply Judas had not remained with Jesus. He had not, not stayed connected with Jesus. He left. And, and the word abide literally means remain, to stay, stay connected with Jesus. Unlike Judas, you would say, in, in the context. Now, Judas is gone. We're in chapter 15. And Jesus is preparing the disciples for what is just about to happen. What is, what is just about to happen? Which night is this? This is the night of nights, isn't it? It's the upper room. And Jesus knows that tonight it is going to get super tough. The disciples are about to enter the time in which Jesus said about Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. It is going to be a terrible trial for them. Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. The disciples are all going to run away. But in this night, they are going to be challenged, unlike at any other time. They're going to be challenged to quit, to leave, to finally, completely, truly abandon Jesus, to walk away and not come back. They're going to be shocked to see him arrested. Jesus, uh, Peter's going to pull out his sword and Jesus is going to say no. And, and, and they're going to be confused. They're going to be frightened. They're going to run away. They're going to feel guilty. They're going to fail. They're going to weep bitterly. They're going to see Jesus then crucified the next day. It's, it's a time of devastation for all their, all their thinking and Satan is going to come in at that time of greatest weakness and push them like Satan loves to. And the question, the question is, are they going to leave? Are they going to quit? Are they going to, or are they going to remain? Are they going to stay? Are they going to abide in Jesus? They're going to be like Judas. There are lots of people like Judas, aren't there? Lots of Judases who seem to be real. But when the fire of persecution comes, or when the, when the cares of this world are, are, are upon them, and and some temptation comes, like Judas, they go. Jesus used a few different pictures, didn't he? Like the parable of the soils, to kind of give us that understanding that there would be people who seem to grow, and then they, they, they grow quick and they fade away, or they get choked by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things come in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. There are going to be those 
kinds of disciples that look like disciples. Here in John 15, the analogy he gives is different. It's an extended analogy comparing himself to the vine and the disciples to the branches of the vine. And, and, and okay, you've got to understand this. Why is he, why is he telling them this, um, this pic, why is he giving them this analogy now? It's, it's, it's that night. It's because they're about to run away, aren't they? But Jesus is telling them all this stuff so that they don't fall away. They're going to run away, but they mustn't fall away. And, and um, maybe you'll have time to go back over John 15 later and see if you agree with me. If you're doubting my interpretation, I would point you to chapter 16, verse 1. Look at chapter 16 and verse 1. Jesus says, and, and this is what comes next, I have said all these things, why? Why has Jesus said all these things? To keep you from falling away. There's a purpose to what Jesus is saying now, and the purpose is to prevent them from falling away. And, and, and some of you may be a, a bit into theology, and you're having some questions. Uh, and for the record, yes, I do believe in the perseverance of the saints. I do believe in the preservation of the saints. I also believe Jesus is telling his disciples here, don't quit. Don't leave. Don't fall away. And he's telling them that. He's telling them, abide in me in order to prevent them from falling away. He's doing it for that reason. And you say, well, how can God be telling, commanding us to persevere if perseverance is a work of the Holy Spirit. Well, repentance is a gift of God, isn't it? But we're commanded to repent. Faith is a gift of God, but we're commanded to believe. Yes, perseverance, preservation is a work guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, but we are commanded to persevere, and we, we, we can sometimes in our theolo theologizing we can airbrush out all these commands, but the commands are there for a reason. Jesus says, abide. And the, and the command to abide is supposed to have an effect. And um, Well, that's what I think Jesus is doing here. Okay. Um, remember, don't you, back in chapter 6, Jesus did something similar. There were lots of people leaving, lots of people quitting. Jesus had just been talking about his flesh being real food, his blood being real drink, and people were like, we're out of here. That's weird. Drink my blood, eat my flesh. I'm done, said a lot of people. And Jesus, in response to people going away, what did he say? Don't worry, you guys, you're the elect, you'll be all right. You'll persevere, I know. No, he says, will you also go away? What did Jesus not know? Of course he knew. But he's asking it as a test, right? He's, he's, he's asking them in order to provoke them to say what they said. What did they say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, right? Now, let me ask you today, um, will you go away? Yeah, there are going to be times, aren't there, when the pressure will come, and it will come to you, and there will be that moment when Satan will sift you like wheat, and when, when, when the, the, the temptation for you is to just quit. What, what are you going to leave? Will you? Do you secretly want to go? If you could, would you would you be out of here? 
you could leave Jesus, would you? Now, is your answer like the disciples? Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. When the tough, when the going gets tough, there are lots of Demases and Judases that get going, aren't there? But, but, but your answer is, Lord, yes, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But Lord, take my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts, courts above. Lord, I don't want to go. I don't want to leave. Lord, help me to abide in you, brother, sister. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus is now speaking to you. And he's giving you, he's given you the command, abide in me. But now he's giving you some encouragement. He's saying, if you abide in me, if you abide in me, if you don't go, if you don't quit, you've got the first part of the key to prayer. <laughs> and that's pretty good, isn't it? Hallelujah. Would you, would you like that? Um, uh, so, uh, if you're abiding, you've got the first part. Let's have a look at the second part, shall we? Um, this is it's still in the same verse. You have to abide in Jesus, number one. You, secondly, you have to have his words, plural, abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and, and so on. So the second condition is introduced by that word and, if and. There's the first condition, now second condition, and I'm saying that's the, this is then the second part. You've got to have this in place. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to ask whatever you wish. Um, so what does it mean then? That's the question. What does it mean to have Jesus' words, plural, abide in you? Well, um, obviously the word abide means the same as it just meant. It means to remain. And that means you've got to have Christ's words remaining in you, instead of what? Instead of leaving you. Oh, <laughs> did it just get awkward? This is awkward, isn't it? Um, maybe this means some of you, you want to pray? You want to have the key to prayer? Well, this is an area perhaps where you need to do some serious work. Right? Maybe, maybe the reason you don't have the key to prayer is... Your head leaks. Does your head leak? Do you have the you have the Bible go in one ear and out the other? That's scary, isn't it? Are you what James called a, a hearer of forgetfulness? You're like the person who looks in the mirror and you the mirror of the word and you say, Wow, what am I like? And then you go away and you forget what you look like. You just let it go. You're the opposite of what the psalmist said. Your word, O oh Lord, have I stored up in my heart that I may not sin against you. You're not storing it up in your heart. You're just letting it go. Do you do that? Do you, do you memorize the word of God? Do you treasure it in your heart? Maybe you know Proverbs 22, 22, 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. And apply your heart to knowledge. To, to, to my knowledge, 4, verse 18, Proverbs 22, verse 18, for it will be pleasant, 
pleasant if you keep them within you. If all of them are ready on your lips. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that it would be pleasant if you could have the word of God on your lips, like Jesus, ready to answer the devil and say no to temptation, ready to speak truth to yourself, ready to speak truth to others, ready in your prayers to turn the word of God into, in, into prayer? I mean, wouldn't that be pleasant? Do you believe that? Do you see the value of Scripture? Are you, are you uh, like seeing Scripture as, as, as treasure? You, you hear it, you treasure it up, you seek it like silver, you search for it like hidden treasures. When you find it, you're hungry for it. You, you, you want to keep it, you chew over it, you memorize it, you treasure it, you look at it, you think about it, you pray about it. Is that you? Or is there... A big gulf between that person, that person, and and you. Now Jesus is saying, if his words abide in you. Well, that's part of what's needed then as a condition to be asking whatever we wish and it will be done for us. Now, um, this is awkward, isn't it? Because a lot of people see memorizing Scripture as something that, well, that's for the super saints. <laughs> that's for those kind of real serious Christians. And Jesus is actually saying, you want to pray like you should, like you want to. You need to be treasuring up his word in your heart, don't you? Some people are going to say to me afterwards, actually, I said this in the first service. Someone's going to come to me afterwards and say, Tom, uh, I can't memorize scripture. I just can't. Other people can, but I tried. I just can't memorize scripture. No one came to me afterwards. You know why? Because I said, I told them what I was going to ask them. I was going to say, what's your address? (laughs) You know your own address, right? Well, if you know your own address, you can memorize at least one verse of scripture. I mean, it's about, about as long. It matters to you where you live. Does it matter to you what Christ has said to you, his words? Do they, do they matter to you? Now, the flip side of that is, do they not matter to you? That's scary, isn't it? Your word have I stored up in my heart that I may not sin against you. There is the reality that some people hear the word of God and, and they don't want to remember it. There's some people who so don't want to have the word of God in them that they don't even open it anymore. They've stopped reading the Bible. Why? Well, um, why would someone not want the word of God in them? Actually, if you you want to be able to sin, if you have some sin that the word of God convicts you about, um, well, that would be the opposite. Your, Your word have I not stood up in my heart because I want to be able to sin. Do you, do, you, do you have that in your life? That's like cherishing iniquity instead of cherishing the word of God. They seem to be opposites, don't they? But, but, but the uh, psalmist said, if you cherish iniquity in your heart, I'm paraphrasing, the Lord will not hear. And, and, and Proverbs 28, 9, if one turns away his ear, if you're the person who 
who hears the word of God and then you turn away your ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. You can pray, but you ain't getting it. So, so it's good to be honest, isn't it? Let's be honest. We're in church, right? So, are there changes that need to happen in your life for you to have what is, I'm calling, the second part to this key to prayer? If my words abide in you, what needs to change? What needs to change for the word of Christ to dwell in you richly? Colossians 3.16 and maybe it's a fundamental change of heart. Maybe today you're just, you're not saved. You're not a, you're not a believer yet. You're like, I get it. I want to pray, but I don't have an appetite for God's word. I see that an appetite for God's word, a hunger for God's word is like a defining characteristic of a Christian. But if I'm honest, I go home and I don't even want to open my Bible. I go to church and I sit through the sermons and most of the time I'm just... In one here and out the other. All right, well, let's be honest. You've just diagnosed your problem. You need a fundamental change of heart. You need to have God change you. You, Maybe you need to be saved. That's the first step, isn't it? You have to to abide in Jesus. You've got to be in Jesus. You've got to you've got to be connected with Jesus for the to, to start with, haven't you? Well, um. Maybe it's not so much a fundamental change of heart, but a change of schedule that you need. Maybe some of you need to go home and and sit down with your diary and say, when am I going to read the Bible? And put it in there. Planning time in God's Word. Maybe you need to learn how to put yourself on Do Not Disturb. Put your phone away. Turn it off. Maybe you need to change your priorities and get rid of some entertainment so that you can entertain God's word in your heart. It takes time to memorize. I didn't mention it in the first service, but you can join with my family if you want. We're memorizing Philippians at the moment. and We record it every day and not every day. We record it every time we do it, a few times a week, and we stick it up on YouTube. And you can actually watch us stumble over every word and fumble and get it wrong, and but you can you can actually say it with us, and you can memorize Philippians. Maybe you want to do that. Um, some of you need to to maybe put aside voluntary things to do what is essential. Maybe you need to be less of a Martha and more of a Mary, remembering that Mary chose the good part, right? And so um, now, is that surprising to you? You came for the sermon on prayer. You, I said I'm going to preach about prayer, and here I am telling you, get into your Bible. And you're like, ah, that surprised me. This is the surprising part of the key to prayer. It's like, yes, there is a connection between you being in the Word and Christ's words being in you, abiding in you, and you being able to pray as you ought. Now, if you have that, praise the Lord. If you're abiding in Christ and his words are abiding in you, praise the Lord. You've got it. You've got two parts of the key to prayer that's here. Now, third part is very simple, again, uh, is simply that you actually have to ask. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to, to, to make such a simple point, but you do have to ask, don't you? 
It says, ask. There it is. Uh, and whatever you wish, and it will be given, done, done for you. So, of course, that means you, you have to prioritize not only time in the Word, but time in prayer. So here we are, it's that sermon, time in the Word and time in prayer. <laughs> it's really basic, isn't it? But actually, that's, that's very much of the Christian life. But listen, um, I could spend a lot of time talking to you now about how, how you need to set aside time, Jesus set aside time, sometimes all night, regularly withdrawing from people. All that's good, isn't it? Lots of sermons exist on those things. Interestingly, I don't think this is Jesus so much commanding you to pray as, listen, brother, sister, you're abiding in Christ. His words are abiding in you. This is an invitation. This is Jesus saying, Ask. Go on, ask. Ask me. Ask me anything. That's kind of what he says, isn't it? I think Jesus is not so much telling them, you wretched bunch of disciples, now go and, go and have a miserable time in prayer. He's inviting them. He's encouraging them. In fact, I found four encouragements in this last part. So you know what my second sermon was now, don't you? Um, four encouragements in the, just in this, this invitation to pray. So, first of all, we get the fact of the invitation, if you're taking notes. Then there's the scope of the invitation. Then there's the promise with the invitation. And finally, we get some real encouragements. We'll just close on that point right at the end, thinking about the recipients of the invitation. So, if you're taking notes, it's going to be fact, scope, promise with, and then recipients of the invitation. Okay. Ready for this? Let's do this. So, first of all, the fact of the invitation. I'm saying this is not simply a command to pray, but an invitation from Jesus. Ask whatever you wish. Why would God invite you if he didn't mean it? Why would he? You might wonder whether your friends are going to invite you to a wedding. But this verse is like the, the, the wedding invitation from God. There it is in your hands. You are invited to pray. And, and you wouldn't accuse God of inviting you if he didn't actually want you to come. That would be weird, wouldn't it? If he didn't want you to pray, sometimes naughty children are just told, listen, don't even think of asking for dessert today. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, ask. Go on, ask. Ask whatever you want. And this isn't the only invitation Jesus gave. There are lots of the Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given you a seat and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. Matthew 7, 8, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open. How wonderful. Was that genuine or not? Is that another one of those awkward verses that you skip over? What about this? John 16, 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, that he will give to you. He will give to you, sir. Uh, but 16, 24, the next verse. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. It's almost as if Jesus wants us to ask, isn't it? It's almost as if he wants us to ask so that our, our joy will be full. You're like, wow, that's really generous, isn't it? That's really... Amazing. Can I really just 
ask the father anything? That's what he says. It gets better, John 16, 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the father on your behalf, for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, does that sound like a genuine invitation? It does, doesn't it? Look, what I'm saying is, it's a fact. Here it is, black and white, an invitation from Jesus. If you're abiding in Christ, if his words are abiding in you, ask. That's the invitation. It's a fact, okay? That's good, isn't it? (laughs) That's an encouragement. That's the first. Now let's look at the second encouragement here, the scope of the invitation. What does it say? Ask whatever you wish. Whatever you wish. That's the scope, and it's not limited. That's the point. You say, what's Jesus doing here? Yeah, there are some qualifications, and Jesus is assuming the qualifications right now, but there's a reason why he's not qualifying it now. Why? Because he wants his disciples to hear the broad scope of the invitation. We're so quick to put the qualifications in that we're like, oh yeah, Jesus doesn't really mean that. And Jesus is like, hang on a minute, hear what I'm saying. Whatever you wish, like a child in a sweet shop, you can have anything you like. Really? Yeah, anything. I mean, just go and pick whatever sweets you like. Seriously? I mean, you're talking about sugar? Is that allowed? Whatever you like. That's, that's the kind of shock value, isn't it, of this invitation. Um, it's like a loving dad who sees a hesitant child and knows that you hesitate to ask for some things. And he says, go on, go on, ask him. I can see you hesitate. Don't hesitate, ask. Now, if the question is, can I play with your knife, dad? Might, the answer might be, well, not whilst you're four. Maybe we'll wait a little bit until you're a bit older. But a loving father wants to hear what's on his child's heart. Is that not true? It is true, isn't it? And God knows how to say, no, that's, look, this is not good for you. Well, this is not good for you now. God knows how to say, not yet. He knows how to say, actually, I've got something better for you. In my, I've got something better in mind. God knows how to do all of that. Those are all qualifications. Jesus is just assuming here, and we can find them from elsewhere in the Word. But there is a qualification that's, that's in their ears already, and, and he's just mentioned it in chapter 14. This is the qualification that we must ask whatever we ask in Jesus' name. In my name, Jesus had just said it. Um, Chapter 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. So he doesn't mention it now, but it's ringing in their ears, right? So they know that's what he means. Verse 14 in chapter 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? A lot of us, myself included, have got into the habit of ending every prayer with, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm kind of assuming that you know that it's not a magic formula, right? 
We're not commanding God to obey us by those three words, in Jesus' name. Um, what does it mean? And fast forward to John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear my fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So what does it mean? If one of the children came to me um, between the services and, and I was sitting, you know, resting in, in the side room and they said, listen, um, Pastor Farrell says, come back into the sanctuary right now. Now, I'm not going to just ignore them. They, they could be like four years old. And if they say, Pastor Farrell says, what are they saying? They're saying, I'm giving you this message it's in the name of Pastor Farrell. This is what Pastor Farrell wants you to do. And so, so they may be four. They may, be, they may say it imperfectly, but if they're telling me what Pastor Farrell wants, I know that that's, that's, that's the, it's in his name. It's what he wants. They've attached his name to it, and, and it's the same for us with Jesus, isn't it? We're saying in Jesus' name means I'm saying this because I believe this is what Jesus wants. That's one aspect to what it means to ask something in Jesus' name. There's another aspect. If, if uh, someone came up to you at the end of the service and they said, I'm collecting money, um, and uh, I'd like you to give me some, here's my bank details. I need it by Thursday. What would you say? You might say, well, you've got a cheek. <laughs> Um, that's a little cheeky. That's what we'd say in England anyway. Um, what would you say here? I don't know what you say in America for cheeky, but um, you've got some pluck, some chutzpah. Is that, is that the kind of thing? You know? um, now, if they said, I'm collecting money for, for Joanna, and here's my bank details, and I need it by Thursday. That's different, isn't it? Why? Because it's in the name of Joanna. This is on behalf of Joanna. You know what it's all about. It's very simple. In Jesus' name, also means for his sake, on his behalf, for his benefit. Now, Christian, believer, you're abiding in Jesus. His word is abiding in you. As his word abides in you, as the Holy Spirit works desires in your heart, such that you can go to God and genuinely pray, Lord, I, I, I want to ask you for this. And I believe that I'm asking you this because Jesus has said this is what he wants. I've read your word and, and Jesus' words have given me this desire. This, I see this need. I'm asking you in Jesus' name. On the flip side, can you see what James means when he warned his hearers about asking driven by their own desires, their own passions? You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Can you come to God and ask 
in Jesus' name, I want this for Jesus' sake. I want, I want this thing, Lord, I have this desire for His sake, for His glory, for Him. Or are you collecting money for Joanna but spending it on yourself? Are you praying in Jesus' name but you want it to spend it on your own passions? That's like Judas, isn't it? That's like Judas. He wanted to use the name of Jesus to make himself rich. That's scary, isn't it? Some people need to repent of using in Jesus' name to claim themselves luxuries in this life just for their own benefit. But we're in John 15. Is, is that you? Is that not you? If it is, you repent. If it's not you, listen. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask, what does he say? Whatever you wish. So, do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Has, has, has God put upon your heart a desire to see his name glorified? A desire to see Him, his kingdom advance? A desire to see his, 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 uh, his work continue? Is that what you want? Can you ask him for things in his name David put it this way, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? Jesus is saying, go on, ask. Whatever is on your heart, ask. And I say, yeah, I, I want to pray like that, do you? I want to plant a church in London. I want to see God's name glorified in London. I want to see people saved in London. Lord, I, I believe that you do not wish any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I believe that. I pray for this prodigal, rebellious, resistant relative. I believe it would glorify your name. I don't believe I'm praying this for my glory. I believe I'm praying it for your glory. John the Apostle in 1 John 5 says, This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, what what does it say? He hears us. He hears us. And then in verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests. We have them. That we have asked of him. That's 1 John 5.15. Listen, take this to the bank. This is your blank check. This is, your, this is the, the, the incredible scope of the invitation, isn't it? Jesus just said, ask whatever you wish. And it's not limited. It's like he gave us unlimited wishes. He didn't say you have three. He just said, ask whatever you wish. This is crazy. But for those of you who love the Lord and who love his word, it is wonderful, isn't it? Don't you want to pray more? I want to pray more. I want to pray more with joy. I want to pray more with, with confidence. Sometimes as pastors, we can groan over our congregations. Your pastor doesn't share with me all the details about you, but I know that some of you make him groan, okay? Because that's what pastors have to deal with. Um, that's just life. You sin, we sin. We've grown over our own sins more. But you sin, and 
we are in agony until Christ is formed in you. That's just reality. When Paul prayed for the Philippians, what did he say? He, in Philippians 1, he, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, joy. Isn't that great? I want to smile more when I'm praying for my congregation. I want to make my prayer with joy more. What was the source of his joy? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, he says, but then, and I am sure of this. This is the second part, the second reason for his joy. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is just like, they're in a mess, some of them, but they're saved, I'm sure of it. Jesus is bringing them through. Lord, I'm making my prayer with joy because Jesus is going to bring them firm. Praise the Lord. We can pray with faith for everyone who truly has faith. Right? I believe that. I want to believe it more. Um, well, that's the scope of the invitation. Now, thirdly, the promise with the invitation. John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and what. Is this a promise? It will be done for you. Who said that? Oh, only the one who is the Word, right? <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the one who was the Word and was with God has just given us His Word. Is that amazing? It will be done for you. Can Jesus lie? Did he lie? Will it be done for you? That's the question to ask, isn't it? The promise with the invitation. I think we need to stop and think. Um, is the God that you believe in the same God who heard the prayers of the Christians in the early church, all those trembling Christians, And they prayed. And he answered. They prayed for boldness. And he answered. The place was shaken. They were filled with boldness. And they went out and changed the world. Could this city change? What would happen if you had those answers to prayer, if those prodigal children, if those ardent atheists, if those skeptical youth, if they were just transformed, if they were truly saved, if the answers to your prayers were given you, what could not change? Could Lynchburg become the place where revival truly breaks out in America? Could this be the, could this be the beginning of a, a, a transformation of the world. It could, couldn't it? If we can truly pray. Is God not the same God who heard the prayers of that mother for her child and Hudson Taylor was saved? If, if he's not, I resign. I'm done. But if he is the same God, I resign myself to pray. I resign myself to humble myself 
to seek his face and to pray. Why? Because Jesus said, it will be done for you. I want to have that. I want to have that in my life. And I don't want to stop short of that for anything. I hope you'll you'll join me in that. Well, um, is this good? I don't know. This is, a, this is supposed to be an encouragement to you to pray. I hope it is. Um, maybe there's someone here and you're thinking, listen, Tom, um, you don't know me. That's the, that's the problem. I wish, I'd love to be able to pray, but there is sin in my heart, which if you knew about it, if people knew about it, there's no way you could, you can understand why I just can't pray. I'm, there are the saints, and this is for the saints, but I'm one of the ain'ts. Well, listen, friend, if that's you, you, you need to pray. You must pray. It says about the, when Saul became Paul, he was one of the ain'ts. But when he became Paul, the first thing that you notice was, behold, he's praying. Listen, you need to be the person who starts by praying a prayer of repentance, right? I mean, it starts with repentance. Like the tax collector, Jesus told us about who beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where you start, friend. You need to know maybe the hope of the gospel that says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Start with a prayer of repentance. Okay, It's very simple. You begin that way. You, you must start with a prayer of faith. You have to come, yes, confessing your sin. Yes, repenting. Yes, laying it down. But you, you come also trusting, not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus. In the, in the death of Jesus on that cross for sinners. He died to pay the price for sin. And that's what you have to believe in. Not that you'll get there one day, but that he went there to the cross and died to pay the price for your sin. Right? That's what you believe in. You pray repenting. You pray believing. And you're saved. This is maybe what you need today, friend. And look, if you need help, there are a lot of people in this room who'd love to help you. And your pastor, I know, would love to help you. Oh, maybe you're... You are saved, but you still say, Lord, I can't pray. You're saved and you say, I'm still struggling. I can't see how God would ever invite me to pray because of my sin. I'm so messed up. I, I seem to open my mouth and put my foot in it. I'm just trying to speak to my wife. And I tell myself I'm not going to say anything hurtful. And then I open my mouth and I watch my wife's face fall. How do we deal with this thing, this restless evil, this thing in our mouths which is set on fire by hell? How do, how do you tame it? I don't know. If you knew, Tom, how could I begin to pray? Listen, um, encouragement for you. Last encouragement. Number four, I'm just going to leave you with this to think about it's the recipients of the invitation. Were they, were they saints? Right? Yes, technically. <laughs> but they're not what people think of as saints. Read the New Testament. Their sins, their failures, their foot-shaped mouths, 
their pride, their egos, it's on display on every page of the New Testament. They're failures. These were 12, now 11, ordinary men. But these 11 were abiding in Jesus. These 11 had His Word abiding in, in, in them. But they were, they were sinners saved by grace, weren't they? Jesus gave the invitation to, to them, to those, that wretched bunch of ordinary men who on the very night when Jesus was betrayed were arguing about which of them was the greatest and didn't any of them think to wash each other's feet. And Jesus gave the invitation to them. Friend, we have a great invitation here, don't we? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It's a surprising key to prayer, isn't it? It's, you have to abide in Jesus. His words have to abide in you. You have to actually pray, but, but you are invited. The scope is broad, isn't it? The scope is broad. Promise promise is good. It's signed, in, signed by Jesus, you would say, written in his own blood. And the recipients, just like you, just like me. So what are you waiting for? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we Thank you, living God. You are the inspirer and hero of prayer. We bow before you, Lord, because we know that we're not worthy. We see our sin and feel wretched, weak, prone to wander prone to leave the God we love. But Lord, we believe you have taken our hearts. You've, you've caused us to love you. You've brought us to the point where we say, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We, we shudder to think of leaving you. We want to follow you. We want to abide in you. Thank you for inviting us. Lord, thank you for pouring out your love to us so that we know the Father does truly love us. Inviting us even to come and ask whatever we wish. Lord, give us faith now, please, to do this. Give us the ability to put away the things which eat up our time in the world and prevent us from praying give us oh God heart to follow you and lips to bring prayers to you that you would be pleased to answer we ask it for Jesus' sake